Hello and welcome to the Enjoy Church podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this message empowers, equips, and helps you become everything God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Judges chapter 6, I want to talk about uh, your calling in God. And I am speaking to the men because the title of the preach today and just talking about the story of Gideon is called Warriors from the Wine Press. Warriors, somebody say warriors. Warriors from the, not warriors. Um, warriors from the wine press. And uh, but obviously as I'm talking to men and I'm calling men to action and following along from uh, the men's conference last week, I am also talking to every single individual in the room because the truth is, is God created you and I and created you for a reason. God created you for a reason. And there are many different re- things that happen in life and through circumstances in life, we can live under the potential that God has for us. Because living in the call of God that He has for us requires us to be dependent on God. Because it's scary. It's like walking on water, like the story of Peter. And the first time you step out of the boat, and I'm not, I'm a church planner, but I'm not talking that, hey, the only calling exists is to go and plant a church. No, there are many callings in the house of God. You might be called to, uh, to ministry out of your home in the gift of hospitality, running a friendship group. God might be calling you uh, to help run men's ministry. He might be calling you to be a voice into the youth ministry and to empower teenagers because there is too many dark voices around teenagers. God might be calling you to kids ministry that the next generation of prophets are coming out of our kids rooms and these are people and they need your voice and they need someone to get around them and, and instill truth into their lives so they don't get disillusioned and mismatched by the world's agenda that's going on around us and your voice matters and your calling matters and am I telling you to quit your business am I telling you to resign at your job no I'm not maybe for some people am I telling you to uh to break up with that person that you're dating I maybe maybe not I don't know I'm just going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about the thing that you know that you need to do, about the thing that's going to take a lot of courage for you to do. And taking a lot of courage might mean, you know what? You've never considered even volunteering like three or four hours a week because your life is busy. Your life is complex. There's a whole lot of things going on in your life. And even taking that time to be selfless and to actually give it for the cause of something greater than yourself has been something that you've retreated from for many valid reasons. And there are many valid reasons, the pandemic being one of them. I mean, the pandemic was freaking stressful. Anybody agree? Or did we all forget? We definitely forgot about it, all right? We we, we remember a lot of things, but that's in the sea of forgetfulness. Um, So, but what, that God is calling you. And so it might be a nuance with the way you, you're a businessman and you've got clients and, or a businesswoman and you've got clients. And so what do you do? You're a negotiator. You, you've got contracts and you've got thing and you, and you, and you influence these clients. But you know, there once was a time that you felt called by God to actually minister to these people. But through circumstance and the fact that there is a current of culture, do not conform to the patterns of these worlds. And there's a pattern of this world that tells you this is the way you've got to do business. You've got to be cutthroat. And don't go talking about church and all that God stuff because if you start letting people into that world, you're going to lose contracts. You're going to lose business. And what it does to us is it gets us to live in a way that maybe you know that you were called for something better than that. 
And you used to risk and tell people about God. And you used to risk and be a minister of God. And, and, and there are many reasons and many excuses under the sun as to why we, valid reasons. And, you know, I, you, you're, you're like, you're not ready yet. You're, you're single. And it's like, well, when I'm married, I'm going to do great things with God. And then you get married. And it's like, well, I used to be single. I had a lot more time on my hands. And then you're like, well, now we're going to have kids. And now you've got one kid. And it's like, well, I'll do, you know, I'll do th- I've got to focus on the kids right now. And I, that's why I can't. And then you have two kids and three kids. And then it never gets around. Well, now my kids are grown up. And it's like, now, you know, the call of God was for me when I was a kid. Now I'm not a kid anymore. And so like, there's just never any perfect season in life. But God is calling you nonetheless. And it might mean, for some people, it might be doing something crazy and dramatic. But for other people, it might be just a nuance. A nuance of obedience for you to actually step forward in the things of God. To not hesitate or procrastinate any longer. But to say, no, no, no. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For me and my house, I'm going to step out again. And I, I want to tell you how the story of Gideon relates to what I'm just saying to you. And so let's read it a little bit. Because the, Gideon, the Gideon's people, God's people, started living in a way that was underneath their potential to God. And God was calling Gideon to correct this situation. And the book of Judges is a party book. Like there is so much going on in the book of Judges. If you think the Bible's not interesting, you just haven't read Judges. You should check it out. It is a scary book. A little bit. It's kind of like M15 plus Gideon. The, the story of all the, all the judges. All right, so Gideon chapter six. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord for seven years. He gave them into the hands of these dudes called the Midianites. These are the same people that when the caravan went past, when Joseph was thrown in a pit, that was the Midianite dudes. And so, um, and so these, guys, these are kind of the, the merchants and they're kind of just about themselves. You know, it kind of sounds like people that live in Melbourne that don't know God. It kind of sounds like the ways and the patterns of the world. It's kind of like, you know, about themselves and not, not about God. But because the, people in, because the power of Midian, verse 2, was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So this is the promised land. This is where they are meant to be blessed. And, but they weren't living the way they were meant to live in the promised land. Something had gone wrong. And so they're not living. They're living under their potential Whenever the Israelites planted their crops and tried to be fruitful, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded that country. They camped in the land where they're not not meant to be camped there. That's your spot. That's your territory. You have a calling in God. It's your ground. It's your agenda. But the enemy is trying to camp in the promises that God has for you. And if we allow the enemy to camp where God should occupy, don't be surprised if we start living beyond, underneath our potential. The enemy has an agenda just like God does. God's agenda is that you would have life, John 10, 10, and have it to its full. The enemy's agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he comes in very subtle ways just to camp in your mind, to camp in your heart, to camp in your decision-making, to camp in your world, to get you living not the way God called you to live. But I came to speak and to and to cause a division right in the enemy's tracks, and to say the agenda of hell will not prevail, not in this house, not in your life. And I am talking to the 13-year-olds, and I'm talking to the 60-year-olds, and I'm talking to everybody. You are called by God. You are called by God. And He's looking to send you again today. Somebody say send. Send me, Lord. They camped on the land. They ruined the crops. They didn't even eat it. Like these guys were just destructive. It was, someone say rude. 
Yeah, they're just like, hey, hey, take that purpose of God. Isn't that so like the enemy? Doesn't care for you. Just wants to destroy, steal, rob you of God's call and his goodness in your life. Okay, so they camped with livestock and tents like them, like swarms of locusts. So there was, they were innumerable, the Bible says. They're camels. They couldn't be counted and they ravaged the land. And I'm so done with the enemy ravaging our churches. Are you saying that the enemy can influence people in the church? 100% I'm saying that. I'm so done with seeing the enemy occupy ground that the kingdom is meant to be occupying. Are you done as well? I'm a little done. There's some praying grandmothers in the room that are so done with the enemy taking ground in their grandchildren. There are some people, there are some parents in the room, some dads in the room that are so done with the enemy taking ground of their brothers, their cousins, their daughters, their sisters. We've got to take it back. And so they cried out to the Lord. And in verse 10, this prophet comes, verse 10, and says, well, this is what the actual problem is. The problem isn't the Midianites. The problem is that they were unfaithful to God. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship other gods of the Amorites in the land that you live, but you haven't listened to me. This is why you're in the situation that you're in. Is because the whole Bible is about trusting, trusting God. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. One was take life in your own hands. One was trust God's word. That's what the trees were. Everything is about will you and I do it our way or will we do it God's way? When Moses went up the mountain and they all disobeyed and turned and made, and made idols, it's because they started taking matters into their own hands. And you and I do this all the time. That's why we need to daily remind ourselves and daily get in prayer that we need to trust God. And I love that that's what Pastor Christian preached on in the offering message is trust God. It takes a whole lot of trust to obey God. Because God isn't going to give you a plan and a purpose that you can work out in your own strength. Otherwise, we don't need God. But we, we, many people in my church, I'll talk about my church, many people in my church live out what they say is God's plan and purpose, but they actually don't need God in that plan, but they just label it, that's God's plan and purpose for my life anyway. I'm not suggesting that that's anyone here. Could be. But that's just my church. Your, the, the call of God on your life requires you to depend on Him. That's one of the prerequisites to God's call. It is beyond you. You cannot do it in your own strength. You can talk about anything. The call of God to be a mother, to raise amazing, strong children. It's out of your strength. You need to depend on God. Amen. All right, moving on. So the angel called Gideon. And where he was in verse 11 where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. That's where we get the title from, Warriors from the Wine Press. Threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So wheat is typically threshed on a hilltop. So you would throw the wheat up, the wind would blow the chaff away, and all the great seed would fall. To, that's how it would work. And he wasn't doing it. He was doing it kind of in a wine press, which is like a, a pit. I'll get back to that. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Isn't it interesting that all of a sudden on September 3rd, 2023, in a Father's Day service at 11.30 a.m. on a Sunday, where you're just doing life the way you've always done life, that some rally Australian who now calls himself a Canadian, doesn't sound like a Canadian, comes along and says, it's time to get out of the wine press. It's time to get out of the wine press. 
There are many reasons why you're there. There are many circumstances that have put you there. But God is sending you nonetheless. And he's calling you and saying, you are a mighty warrior in whatever way that means. And God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, God calls things that are not as though they are. So you're like, God's spoken to my heart before, Pastor Sam, but I've got so many reasons as to why that is not possible. Well, I've got a reason as to why it's possible. God. You can disqualify yourself all day long, but if God is calling you warrior, which he is, you are in fact a warrior. But Sam, you don't understand how I've lived my life. You don't understand how guilty I am. You don't understand what I've done, and you don't understand how displeased God would be in me. I mean, I... No, I am not adequate to do what God has called me to do. But I have to at some point get out of false humility and step up into the call. I'm not adequate to be on this stage here today. There are so many, I could, I could sit down in that seat all day long and say, oh no, I'm not going to preach, I'm not going to get up there, I've got nothing to say. And like the enemy tries to shut down my voice all the time. But at some point we have to step up and see ourselves through God's eyes and actually call ourselves the way he sees us and it's called honor. Honor always sees the person the way God sees them. Amen. Man, I feel like I'm going on a lot of rabbit trails. I better, I better get right. Pardon me. So he's like, pardon me. Pardon me, Lord. Gideon replied, so polite. But if the Lord was with us, so he, he's seeing the condition of his people, all these people that are not meant to be living in caves, that are meant to be flourishing in the promised land. And he's like, if the Lord was with us, he's frustrated. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all the signs and wonders? Where's the whole Egypt, Red Sea thing? Like, what's going on? This isn't what I thought the way we were meant to live. He said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But the Lord has abandoned us. That might be you here today. Well, Pastor Sam, I was ready to step out on the call of God when I was 16. But my life of pain since that day Where was God? I would have done amazing things for God all through my life. But now I'm 45 or now I'm whatever. And where was God? I I feel abandoned by God. Well, I don't don't know like where you're at or what you're going through, but he was just just in the middle of the story. The story wasn't done yet. God hadn't abandoned him. He was right there. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. When you and I do all we can do, then God can do what only he can do. And he said, am I not sending you? And then he says, pardon me again, very polite, pardon me. My Lord, Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh and I'm the least of the family. So he's saying, I don't have any authority to do this. And the Lord answered and said, you will strike down the Midianites and you will leave none alive. Now, if you know the end of the story, what ended up happening is God gave him this crazy strategy to get torches, put them in clay jars, and then he told the army to split up in three. And there was only 300 of them surrounding 125,000 Midianites, break the clay jars, flash the torches at them and shout. You know, like kind of like a flashbang and they turned on each other and they did and then Gideon took the Asherah poles and and took them down and made things right before God. And so it worked. But I'm so proud of Gideon that he had enough sense to trust God, to step out, because he could have stayed in the wine press. He could have remained where he was. 
And I don't know why I said yes to go and do the things that God has called me to do, but I have freaked out every step of the way. We're 10 years, 11 years into the journey, and it's been scary. I remember the first time that I walked down the downtown streets of Toronto, and I'm from Gippsland. I'm a country boy. Like, I grew up going to my friends' houses. I mean, me and Jeffo hung out together. Jeffo's awesome. He's much better than me. Um, but we are... Uh, you know, and I'm walking down the downtown streets in Toronto, and I'm looking up at the buildings, and I'm, looking, and I'm feeling the call of God to plant a church there. I'm feeling completely inadequate. And I remember this feeling where my heart started feeling small, and my voice started feeling taken, and I just said, God, I, if this is going to happen, it has to be you. But that's exactly the position that God wanted me to be in. And there are things that have happened that, along the way that have been absolutely miraculous, including around about... Like we're getting up to about 10,000 people giving their lives to Christ through the last 10 years in our church. That is not a clap worthy of that. It's remarkable. We see, we've seen so many people even just, they've never read a Bible before and and they've never been brought up in church before and they're literally asking like the basic questions and people are turning to Christ. Okay, so number one, God is calling for kingdom people to solve kingdom problems. What frustrates you? Gideon was frustrated. He's like, what's going on? I look around the horizon and I see all this army paralyzing my people and this is not the way it was meant to be. How did it get like this? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. What kingdom problem? Kingdom problem frustrates you. When you look across the city of Melbourne, when you look around your neighborhood, do you see people filled with life and founding God and just absolutely flourishing and prospering just like you and I do in church? Or is there another dichotomy there? Like I was walking around the streets of Melbourne yesterday and I see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that likely do not have the hope in Jesus that you and I have. That frustrates me. That ought to move you. That ought to frustrate you. Your purpose comes out of your frustration. I remember that God called me on an altar and he gripped my heart and, and he gave me a vision, a quick, really quick vision in a moment, but it totally changed my life. And while I was just praying in the spirit on the altar call, God gave me this picture of a crowded, it was kind of like, looked like an airport. It was crowds, just people walking by like this. And I, I was standing next to Jesus and no one was acknowledging him. And it was frustrating to me. I was looking, I was like, why do all these people not know who you are? And Jesus said, exactly. And I felt like Christ put a heart transplant of the love of the Father, if only that there could be a connection between God's children and their creator. And that's why our purpose statement as a church is we exist to connect people to God. It's because God had birthed something in my heart, a frustration that people weren't acknowledging Him. And I'm telling you that God is placing a holy frustration in you. What is it? What is it? And if you can trust God to step out on whatever that frustration is, you will see amazing miracles. I remember being so frustrated, like all the way through Toronto, 10 years, setting up church, tearing down church. And not being out, the church never feels like the head in Toronto. It always feels like the tail. Being pushed around and, and told what to do and kicked out of places. We've been over 50 different venues, setting up and tearing down from 5.30 in the morning doing church. And then just before Father's Day in North America, which is June 18th, there was a moment where the school board called us and said, you've got two weeks notice, you can no longer meet in the school. 
And then I found out the reason why is someone was harassing and sending um, misinformation to the school board about who we were as a church, who C3 Global was around, because C3 is a part of, you know, 600 plus churches around the world. And sending, and the school was like, we can no longer have a Christian organization that believes these certain things that, to meet in our schools and you're done. We can't do it anymore. And I remember on Father's Day, I had a guest speaker in town and I got up to in church and we actually didn't have a solution to meet the following Sunday. I'm going to tell you a little miracle story here to motivate your faith. And I remember standing up on Father's Day, June 18th, saying to the church, listen guys, God's good. He's always been good to us. But today, I actually... We are not going to be meeting here next Sunday. But while I'm standing here telling you this, I just know that if I trust God and we depend on God, that he's going to come through and he's going to answer. And I don't have a solution right now. We tried all these other venues for like $10,000 a Sunday and different things. And we approached all these other schools and this person was sending directly to principals and getting us shut out of schools. And this, whatever, that's that's a longer story. The church... In that service, erupted in spontaneous prayer. It's never happened in the life of our church before. People were speaking in tongues and people were like, like, it was crazy. And I turned to the guest speaker and he's like, does this happen all the time? I'm like, this never happens. The church, in the midst of an enemy, unity forms in the church. When we don't recognize that there is an enemy greater out there that is occupying the land of God's promise, that is ravaging people's lives, We start to think each other are the enemy in church. We start to speak badly and gossip about one another. And if you do that in this church, it's just because you forgot who the real enemy is. We're called to unify and band together. And this erupted in prayer. And I, I fell down on my knees in prayer on Monday morning, June 19th. Cried out to God and said, I can't do this. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. I don't, I like, we don't have a solution. I'm, I felt honestly like a bad leader. How did I let the church get here? I depended on, cried out in dependence on, I've done that multiple times through, because it's crazy. Walking on water is crazy. But after a while, standing in the boat feels crazier than walking on water. Because you know that you can't put it in your own human strength. I don't know what God's calling you to, but I'm going to tell you, it's not going to feel like easy. At 4.22 p.m. the same day of June 19th, I get a random voice note from a friend that I hadn't spoken to in a number of months. And he's like, hey, I'm listening to it. He's like, hey, man. This is super random. I'm sending, you this, I'm sending you this pamphlet of this property in downtown Toronto. And a developer friend, I don't even know what's going on in your church. right. I don't know if you need this. But a developer friend of mine, he bought this church property. And eventually he wants to put condos on it. But for now, he just, for the next five to ten years, he needs a leaseholder to take that space. And he's looking for someone kind of immediately. Are you interested? Guys, guys, this is the property. This is the property. You got a, I think you got a photo of it. It's, an, it's a Catholic church building. Talk about a redemption story. And it's been our first permanent location as a church where we don't set up and dare down. Like you guys, I mean, you got to thank God for this building. This, this building, the price that's being paid for this building is absolutely incredible. At 4.22 p.m. the following day, I met the... I met the developer. He's an Israeli developer. I called him that night and he's like, hey, you know, I'm interested in your building. I never heard, you know, when do you want to meet? And I said, you available tomorrow? He's like, oh, okay, sure. So I met him tomorrow and then I got there and I'm like, I just, I need a building and you need someone to rent the building. Let's just negotiate right now. And 
We were paying $15,000 a, a month at the school board for rent just for six hours on a Sunday to set up and tear down our own stuff for them to end up kicking us out. Over 10 years that we gave the school board two and a half million dollars and it meant nothing. And then I said, uh, how about 7,000? He's like, great, done. <laughs> so now we've got a permanent building for half the price. In down- Isn't that amazing? Isn't that Trust God. Depend on God. It's going to feel crazy. You're going to feel like you're stepping way out there. And is He going to come through? But when it comes through, your testimony to the glory of God, it will be undeniable. You don't want to live a safe life. You don't want to live one in your own understanding. You don't want to live a life all calculated and worked out. You want to live a life that depends on God. In all the ways. So what frustrates you? There are many things that could frustrate you, that there aren't more youth getting saved, that there aren't more churches getting planted, that family health in Melbourne is deteriorating. Well, if that frustrates you, be the answer to your own frustration. That the church is not financed at the level it should be. Well, you do it. Stretch in ways that blow your mind, that created God's story in your life and give to the house of God in a way like you've never given before. God's got you. I didn't want him to say that one because that's one scary. Everything's scary in God. Biblical training and knowledge should be better. Be a part of it. Be a part of the solution. Man, I wish, more, I wish there was more friends and friendships and different things going on in the church. Well, we call them friendship groups for a reason. Run one. <laughs> Am I, I'm just acting like a local pastor right now. I'm just, I, I just feel so at home right. All right, I've got to move on. I'll get the keys up. We must not let logic and reasoning stop us from obeying God. Gideon gets a bad rap. So many people call Gideon a coward. He wasn't a coward. He was just calculated. Somebody say calculated. Calculated is never going to get you living the life that God has for you. I mean, let's talk about Gideon. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He was actually generating a profit for his people. He's looking for harvest. He's doing it. He was strategic. He calculated the risk and was like, he, he could have been a business consultant. And he was actually taking a risk. If he got caught, what would have happened if he got caught? So he was a risk taker. He was an entrepreneur. He was strategic. He was actually doing something. So he was a hustler. There are so many people under the sound of my voice and that just described you. You're busy. You're not sitting around eating Doritos on the couch. If you're someone that's doing that in this church, I want to tell you, God's got a bigger plan for you. But most of us in this church, you'll be busy. So even taking some of the prioritization of your life and reallocating it and directing it according to the kingdom, that is a getting out of the wine press step for you. That is scary. And you're an entrepreneur and you've been and you've been like, hey, I've been doing this thing and I'm actually doing something for God's people. Everyone else is hiding in caves. Well, I'm on the greeting team. I'm doing something, but God's speaking to your heart and there is more. There is more. There is more. There is there's something else going on there. Oh, don't talk to me about the more because that, that means I've got to step out in full view of everything. And now Gideon feels moved by the Spirit. And I want to tell you, God is not good at math. I relate to God in that way. God is just hard. He's not good at calculations. Because the math never makes sense. The calculations never work out. And I'm going to give you some math. 125,000 Midianite soldiers. And when Gideon was moved by the Spirit of the Lord, he calls an army together. So he, so he says yes to God. 
And you and I, we're going to say yes to God. We're going to respond to the call of God. And 32,000 soldiers go, yeah, let's do it. And God's like, hey, that's too many. I don't want you to go out there with 32,000. I'm just like, well, you know, like they've still got a lot more. Like 32,000 is still trusting you, God. Don't you hate it when you step out and do something for God and he kind of like just seems to make it harder before it gets better? Have you ever found God to be like that? Like what about the Lazarus story where he stayed four more days when Lazarus was dead? It's just so you know when the resurrection comes, that thing was really dead. So you never take the glory, you never take the credit. God's put me in that position so many times and he's going to put you in that position. It's all good, embrace it. It's exciting. So he says, okay, tell the army of 32,000 people that anyone that's scared, they can go home. Go, they, go tell them to have brunch. Have a sausage sizzle. And so 22,000 leave. That leaves 10,000. And Gideon's like freaking out because that's, Four, that it was four to one at 32,000. Now it's, now it's 13 to one. So every one of these 10,000 soldiers, he turns to them, he's like, hey guys, hey guys, you guys each have to take out 13 people. You cool? I mean, you know, Pastor Mick Reeves could do that. He's pretty tough. And if any of you get taken out, the next guy next to you has to take out 26. You got this? God's like, hey, that's still not big enough for me. This is the story. And so he says, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to take these 10,000 guys. I want you to take them down to the Yarra River and have a drink. All of you in Melbourne are like, no, don't do that. That's a, that's a horrible idea. I'm just kind of having fun with the story. Take, take them down to the river. and have Everyone that gets down to the water and drinks out of the river directly, send them home. Anyone that cups the water, and drinks out of their hand like this, laps like a dog. They're your warriors. It's the positioning is ready. We're going to take these guys out. Gideon's 300. There was only 300 people out of 10,000 that drank the right way. I'm sure Gideon was like, can I just tell him, God, that there's a different way to drink water? Like, can I, he's wanting to tap on people's shoulders. I'm sure he was very tempted in that moment. He's back there, his knees are quivering. He's like, oh my goodness, how am I meant to trust God? Because he was calculated. He was the one that had worked it out. He was a strategist. And he's like, I don't know what ridiculous strategy that you think this is God. You're telling me to march around the city with torches and clay jars with 300 against 125,000? These stories in the Bible exist for a reason. They exist so that you and I know that God is God. And if you're hesitating, doubting, procrastinating on your call of God because you can't do the math, just know that God's math is crazier. With God, all things are possible. And they do it. Do you want to know the ratio of 300 to 125,000, I did the math. It's 450 to one. Now, this story's context in geography is the Jezreel Valley. And there was another story that we read later in Kings that's 200 years later. For any Bible nerds out there, I just think this is cool to nerd out about. 
that there was a guy by the name of Elijah that stood up on Mount Carmel and he stood up in front of a certain amount of enemy in order to tell them that your, your Baal, your God is not the God that's right to serve and there is only one God and His name is Yahweh. Do you want to know how many false prophets were standing against Elijah 200 years later? 450 to one in the same location. I want to tell you, I got a sense, and maybe I'm stretching the text a little. I got a sense that Elijah was thinking about the Gideon story that they had told, where there was an army that got reduced from 32,000 people down to 300, and there was a ratio of 450 to one. And he sat there on Mount Carmel and counted up the false prophets, and he's like, Look at that. Gideon did it. My ancestors did it. My father's gone by, did it. They trusted God. I too can trust God. Fire, come down from heaven and lap this thing up. What point am I making there? I want people at the end of my life to say, hey, I don't want them to say, hey, remember that guy, Sam Pickin? Remember how safe and calculated he was? Remember how much he kind of just managed things in his own strength and kind of did life in a calculated way? He budgeted everything and just worked it out. How inspiring is that? No, no, no. I want God to, I want other generations beyond me to describe my life as someone that trusted God in the face of insurmountable odds. And that's how people are going to describe your life because God is sending you. I know it's scary. Right now, you're doing the calculations, right now, you're considering your life. Right now, it's like, man, are you talking about I got to make some changes? I got to do some things? Absolutely, that's what I'm talking about. We walk through these doors every single Sunday. And what does it say? Do something. So the last 52 Sundays, you did some stuff that God's calling you. Warriors from the wine press.